This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today. Welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. And hey, here's a quick little tip and a little thing I'd recommend for those of you joining us for the first time. Hey, go back, go to earlier episodes of the podcast, find content that is related to things that are at the forefront of your mind, shine in, because this this podcast is called The World of UX because we talk about any and everything that's going on in UX. There is no holds barred. Some people like to say, yeah, but a lot of this stuff sounds pessimistic. There's no such thing as a pessimistic fact. If there is a fact, that means that we need to respond to it. That means when we need to be aware of it. That means we need to take action. And keep in mind, what is pessimism? And this is actually related to some of the things we're going to be talking about in the series we're doing right now. And this is the second part we're starting today, talking about the sinister nature of today's UX culture. When something is pessimistic, that means that people have no hope. That means that people have no solution. That means that people can't make it. That means that no matter what you are doing, it is not going to work. Nothing is going to play out in your favor. Nobody has heard me say anything of that sort, but people who love gaslighting will say that because they don't want you to hear what we're talking about. Ironically, the same people who will try to label what I'm talking about as pessimistic want you to listen to people who are spreading misinformation. They want you to pay attention to people that are merchandising you. They want you to pay attention to people who are telling lies. So really, what in the world is going on out here today? But this is the sinister nature of today's world of UX culture. On the World of UX podcast, we would talk about any and everything that's going on. We talk about the work. We talk about things around the work. We talk about things not associated with the work. If it's connected to UX the, and and the well-being of UX, we're going to cover it, and we're not going to be those people that are keeping things from you, which is a gross act of disrespect, and a lot of people are doing that, or they do things because they want to they want to basically take advantage of what you don't know, and then they want to drive some type of, whether it's their personality, uh, something that's making them more known in the discipline, if it's something, some of them is making them money, uh, these things are terrible, and, and folks are taking advantage of folks' desire to learn, and it's a shame. Something else that is a part of today's sinister culture of UX. So I'm going to share things with you that you need to know. I'm going to share things with you that are going to benefit you in knowing. I'm going to share things with you that a lot of other people are afraid to talk to you about because they don't want to be on the end of, of the spectrum that's sharing this type of information. I have seen some people also... And this is tied into our topic a little bit as well. And then we'll get back to our list. There are people who have taken upon themselves. They decided they want to be a voice in UX today. They usually don't have any experience. They have no knowledge of UX's history. They, they don't really know what's going on. They just like being at the forefront. And I have seen a few people who have put themselves in a position 
where they wanted to be the go-to person. They boast about how many people are following them now, and they, they, they share stuff all the time. They're always giving tips, and they're doing all of these things, and the next thing you know, you find out that they're burned out. You find out that they, they, don't, they can't do this anymore. They actually they bit off more than they could chew. And, and one of the things, and I purposely didn't put this on the list, but I guess I'm including it indirectly now, the desire for UX celebritism is one of the things associated with our sinister culture today. That these people, ironically, people who don't really know what it is, they don't know the ins and outs associated with the stuff that they're sharing, but because they're getting a name and because they're becoming a person that people look to, they're willing to, to engage in, in this manner. And it's really something. Folks who are relatively new to UX, a lot of times will listen to any and everybody that's out there sharing anything. And they don't have a filter yet. And, and when you don't have a filter, you will embrace any and everything. The thing I call baby bird syndrome. And when you have baby bird syndrome and you, you accept any and everything, you have no idea that some of the things that you are taking in are actually going to harm you. They're going to set you back. They're going to put you in a position where you're at a gross disadvantage. And considering the fact that when people come into UX today, they pretty much come in with rose-colored glasses on, that's just automatically dangerous. I don't want to see people get hurt. I see people getting hurt. I see people getting frustrated. I see people getting misdirected. I want to help you overcome those things. And that's what this podcast is about. So uh, we had a few indirect things that purposely are, or, or not purposely, but formally are not listed on this, this list that I'm looking at right now, things that I want to cover, uh, but but they're still important today. And, and it's a very volatile arena, UX is, and, and, and also purposely, I'm not going to recap the things that I covered last week because it will take up too much time because eventually we'll get into a certain point on this list where you just we, we just can't do recaps. So we're just going to pick up where we left off. I initially thought that we were only going to cover 20 things, and my list is currently well over that. So I'm going to stop including account. Uh, I, it's not in the title for that reason because we're going to cover things that there's a lot of sinister stuff going on in UX, and people don't realize that it's hurting us. They don't realize that we're being misrepresented. They don't realize that people, people's perception of user experience is not what it should be. And when the something is misperceived, then the actions based on the perceptions are going to be off base as well. And that's what we see today. But at any rate, without further ado, how about we just go ahead and pick up on the list where we left off because I I keep saying things that are related to some of the things I want to I want to cover. We'll get as far as we can today. I'm not going to promise how many weeks this is going to be. I'm just going to keep sharing these things. Now, please know and understand as I make you aware of these things, it should help you be more sensitive to their their presence, to their activity, to their being an active element. In the world of UX today, you're not going to be able to get up. Many people are not going to be able to get up. Uh, Ray Butler, somebody we, we interact with a lot, a shout out to Ray, uh, mentioned that a lot of times you people hear me say this stuff and they think that they can just go out and immediately execute it. This, this stuff, he was right. Uh, and 
you're going to take this in. You're going to need to digest it and you're going to need to come to an understanding of what actions you need to take. I'll talk about some of the actions. It is not exhaustive. The actions that I talk about, not exhaustive at all, but you're not going to take these things and then run off and start executing on all of them right away. It just simply can't be done, but your awareness can be heightened. Your sensitivity to the extent that you know, be aware of these things, start getting good at recognizing them. And the action is going to be pretty much clear in, in many instances. But I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was a really great point that he made. I want to point this out. So that said, on to number three on the list. And number three on this list is people with little to no experience in UX today are in the business of constantly refuting the things that people say who have tons of experience. And I mentioned something on a previous a previous episode. Have you ever had a conversation, and we're not calling people child or, or, or children. I just have to say this because some people are so neurotic that you have to explain stuff you shouldn't have to explain. But have you ever had a conversation with a child and you sort of, you don't talk to them like they're a child. You have a conversation with a child where you respect them. And so you talk to them in a way where you know some of the things you say, they may not understand it, but you can help to help them to understand what it is you're talking about. And I remember having a conversation with a friend's daughter and, and we were all just sitting around and, and this kid was always drawn toward me and, and I just talking to her about some things. And I was talking about, I just started talking about finances and I don't know why, but I just started talking about finances. I said something about how we have to be careful and smart with our money and that she's going to have to learn how to do it. And I made a statement and she said she didn't believe me. Now, does someone's not believing something that's true? Number one, does that change whether or not what was said is true? No, it doesn't. I, and so, but the thing that I'm trying to point out in relation to this item that's in the list is that, I mean, this little kid kept going back and forth. She started getting more and more vehement about what I said and how she didn't believe it. And, and that's the same. I've seen a lot of kids do that in my lifetime, just at that instance comes to mind where kids just don't like what's being said. And so they don't want to comply with it and they will voice their displeasure or their lack of, of acceptance for the statement that was made. And, and it becomes sort of humorous after a while because you know, it's true. The other adults that are sitting around know that is true. And we sort of get a chuckle out of how vehement the, the kid is who's responding to what's being said. And then a few years later, the, when the kid's a little older, yeah, I remember that, man. Yeah, you were right. And they acknowledge it. But this is the same dynamic that I see in UX today. You make a statement. Somebody doesn't realize that they're responding from a biased perspective. They're responding from a wishful thinking perspective. Many of them are responding from a Pollyanna slash toxic positivity perspective. They don't want to hear what you have to say because maybe it makes them feel uncomfortable or they don't want to hear what you have to say because they don't measure up to what you're talking about. If you happen to be talking about a standard, they don't want to face up to what you have to say because they don't want to be accountable to the principles that you're talking about. So, 
So you'll talk about things associated with UX, and these people who have no experience cannot even begin to disavow, or I should say uh, uh, disagree. And I talk about that sometimes, that some people say they disagree when really they're disavowing. And, And you can't disagree unless you have facts. You can't disagree unless you have proof. You can say you don't believe it. You can say that. And you can truly not believe it, but it doesn't matter if it's actually true. It doesn't change a single solitary thing. And in this participation trophy age where everybody wants to think there's something that they not or that they'd have achieved something that they have not, that's when you find this dynamic in place. And so I constantly see people and, and I engage with people who have little to no experience whatsoever in UX, and you try to tell them something that's going to help them, it's going to help them be more solid. It's going to help them take their next steps with authority in the discipline, but because they don't like it, they want to shoot it down. They ignore the fact that you have umpteen years of experience. They ignore the fact that you happen to be well-versed, well-schooled, and well-traveled. You can't write off somebody who's well-schooled and well-traveled unless you have proof, unless you have data that says where they're coming from is not accurate. Here is an example, and I talked about this on another episode where there's an episode called If Everybody's a Designer because there is a very popular person in the UX today who teaches that everybody is a designer. That's not true at all. And it's really funny that that person said everybody is a designer, and then you have somebody like Bruce Tognazzini, who in his interaction design principles literally state that you should leave certain things to the people who are trained and skilled to do those things. Design, real design, is a science. And it takes somebody who's approaching it from a scientific perspective in order to optimize the work at hand. You cannot whimsically progress and just, I mean, you have the blind squirrel that always finds a nut, but that blind squirrel is not going to succeed consistently, and they're definitely not going to succeed deliberately. And that's what you've got today. You've got blind squirrels running around in UX trying to do stuff, and, oh, God, don't let them succeed once or think that they succeeded. Because sometimes people think they succeeded, and they really haven't, but you know, nobody tested what's going on out there, and they haven't heard from the, from the actual users yet, so they don't know. These types of things don't fly. Somebody with no experience cannot refute, accurately and authoritatively refute something without flaw being presented by a person who was well-versed in the discipline. It doesn't happen. And it's funny that people who don't have any experience, instead of trying to latch onto these people and learn, which is what we did when we were first coming up in UX, instead of latching on and learning, they want to vault over us. There is no way. I personally have 28 years this year. There's no way that you're going to do what I can do, and just vault past me. Not going to happen. Don't have the point of reference. Don't have the breadth of the personal UX uh, um, uh, maturity. Don't have the, the, the heuristic repository 
You simply don't have the ability. And that's not a thing of shame. You just don't. A firefighter who walks into a fire station for the first day of the job doesn't have what the other people have. It's their first day on the job. In a year or two years, still don't match up to people who've been doing it for a long time. And just fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what the discipline is, that this is always a thing. But for some reason, people want to keep trying to change UX into this thing where people can walk in off the street and automatically pass people by. Or they walk in off the street and because they learned to do UX in six months, they think that they can do anything. Nobody can learn UX in six months. And we'll talk about that later on. But this type of mentality is something that is not in the best interest of the discipline. It's not in the best interest of the person doing the refuting. It's not in the best interest of people who listen to the person doing the refuting. And those kind of people have a tendency to be very loud. Those are the same people who want to be UX celebrities. Those are the same people posting all the time, making videos, trying to get people. They say something and then say, follow me. I post all the time and don't say, follow me. You know, follow you for what? If, if what you provided is valuable and you consistently provide value, people are going to follow you. You don't have to say, follow me. Come on now. Come off of that. You know, and I know some people that do it and, and when they do it, it actually makes more sense. I'm talking about these people who just got off the boat, so to speak. These people who who just figured out, they just said their ABCs for the first time, so to speak. This kind of thing is bad. For the discipline, it, it, it's turning everything upside down. It used to be it was turning it. It's already upside down today. There are people who are presenting themselves as if they're seasoned in UX. You can't be seasoned. You haven't marinated long enough to be see, uh, to be seasoned. It just doesn't happen. But as people continue to insist that their state is valuable, authoritative, and realistic, and you get enough people with baby bird syndrome to come along who believe that stuff, it just keeps the momentum going in that direction. Notice I didn't say forward. They just keep going in a particular direction. So this is one of the sinister things that's happening today. When you're aware of it, you'll become more sensitive to it, and hopefully you'll be you'll be less of a victim of it. But there's a lot of people, and I see hundreds of people daily who are being victimized by this mentality and it should not be. Number four on the list, people think something is legitimate or true simply because of how many people trust in it or embrace it. So that's something that's called bandwagon effect. I've talked about that in a, in a previous podcast. Just because there's a post on social media on LinkedIn and 500 people liked it, does that mean that what the person said has value? I saw a post this week where a person said that boot camps are not provide something on the line of boot camps are not providing people with a realistic view of what UX is really all about. And somebody needs to start talking about this. And I saw this post and I just started laughing. I'm not the only person who speaks out about this stuff, about the predatory nature, about how they, they're the ones many times passing out the rose colored glasses. We've been talking about this stuff for years. And people try to keep folks from hearing us, so they accuse me and people like me of different things, anything, to keep people from listening to us because they don't want anybody to hear what we have to say. And now you've got people who were just victimized by the same thing, 
now running around and talking about it and acting like they're shedding light on something that's previously uh, had everybody in the dark. That's not true at all. That's that UX celebritism thing. Again, there are people, people way more experienced than people like that individual uh, that folks need to be listening to talking about this subject and not somebody who just ate the pile of poop trying to tell you that this pile of poop is bad for you. Okay, that's all nice and cool, but don't act like you're shedding light and other people haven't. That's that's just goofy stuff. But now a bunch of people are coming behind that post. Oh, this is great. Thank you for sharing. Oh, this is great. We need to hear this. Oh, truth bombs. Yeah. And, and, and something else about this that's a, a sort of a side note. There are people who connect to people like me, listen to what we're talking about, know that that information is not being shared in their circles, and then they parrot what they heard us say to put themselves in a position to achieve a UX celebrity status. They don't know what they're talking about. If you were to talk to those individuals on the spot and ask them questions, they will not have any answers because they're just parroting what they heard me and Dr. Ari and Dr. Nick and, and Debbie Levitt and other people say. They, they don't know. <laughs> they have no idea what it is that they're talking about. And, and we said that before. When somebody is talking, when somebody is posting, pay attention to look at what they're talking about, the amount of maturity reflective of what they're saying. And then look at their experience. Look at their work history. If somebody is talking and it sounds like, man, they sound like somebody's been doing the work for 10, 15, 20 years, and they only have a year of experience, there's your sign. They are robbing, they're stealing content from someone else. They're repackaging it and putting it back out there. I, I saw an instance once where somebody literally took, and this happens more than people realize, Someone took someone someone else's actual post on social media. They didn't they didn't repost it. They didn't share it. They copied it and pasted it. And they presented it as their own idea. That's called plagiarism. Folks, it's, it's called plagiarism. And then when I confronted the person because I knew what the person did, I confronted the person and at first the person responded, then they deleted their response. And then they turned around and just decided they were going to ignore me. So I created a post showing their post and the original post side by side to let people know who this person was. And that's something else from the sinister culture of UX today. It's bad that the person did it. It's worse that people let them get away with it. It's like nobody wants to hold anybody accountable for anything. People are afraid to call people out when they're out of order. Interestingly, they'll call people that are not out of order, out of order when they don't like something, but they won't call somebody out for being out of order when they know that they're out of order. That's just sick. That That's a sickness. And people need to really get over things like that. But this whole bandwagon effect thing, back to that point in point number four, this whole bandwagon effect thing is really sad. And you'll see a lot of times, you'll see a ton of likes, or a ton of comments, and but what the person is saying doesn't even it's not it's either not accurate, it doesn't provide any real value, it was parroted from somewhere else, and and people jump on the bandwagon because of the volume. I had an instance where I was talking to somebody, somebody had a post about UX writing, 
another example. And I find, and I hold people that are connected to me accountable if they begin to share things that are doing having detrimental impact on the discipline. If somebody is sharing something that is misinformation, I will respond to them in most cases and will say something, provide them with evidence, not my opinion. I provide them with evidence that what they're talking about or what they did is not legit. So person was talking about UX writing and I proceeded to let them know UX writing is not a thing. I shared a link to my podcast episode where I shared some things about UX writing that prove that UX writing is not a thing. And I know some people, even people that are noteworthy and, and, and accepted in the discipline and accomplished in the discipline. There are a handful of people who do accept UX writing. I doubt very seriously they've examined it from the perspective that I talked about in that podcast episode. We've been doing what people refer to. I told the person this too. Because they, they tried to tell me, let me I'm going to get ahead of myself. person told me, they said, UX writing, I, I respect what you're saying, but UX writing is really a thing. And and they they so they made the statement that UX writing is really a thing, and behind that is supposed to be your proof. The statement of why what I just said carries water, why it matters. The next statement was one of the most ludicrous things that and the person is not even listening to themselves. The person said, oh, yeah, it's a real thing because a lot of people think it's a real thing. A lot of people think the earth is flat, too. Does that mean the earth is flat? A, a, lot, a lot of people think a lot of things. A lot of people think vampires are real. Does that mean vampires are real because a lot of people think they're real? The earth is not flat and there aren't any vampires. Not not as you suppose. <laughs> but uh, I don't have my rimshot sound effect right now. But. It, it's a really sad thing that that's the best he could do. And he didn't even bother to listen to the episode. And, and I shouldn't necessarily expect him to. But if you're engaged in critical thinking, if I say that UX writing isn't a thing and I provide you with a bunch of evidence to show that it's not a thing, you are not proceeding ethically if you don't take a look at the evidence. The evidence shoots you down. You decide to believe something because you just want to. So that's bandwagon mentality. Well, everybody else is doing it, so I'll do it. Everybody else believes it, so I'll believe it. I know there's evidence out there that that says that it's not real, but I'm not even going to pay attention to that. And you are out of order at that point. Well-deserved sound effect on that one because you're not taking a look. I mean, an academic mindset, even when you know something is right, if there's a counterpoint, you owe it to yourself and to your constituents to take a look at the counterpoint and examine it, digest it, see if it shoots holes in, in what you are taking a look at. If it pokes holes in what it is that you're looking at, then you have to change your perspective. That's just the way that that that's what ethics means. There's a lot of people in the UX that just don't have ethics today and don't insist on having any ethics. And to my knowledge, that person never came back. They never listened to the podcast. They never came back and said anything of note. They just insist on believing whatever popular thing is out there. And, and, and what makes matters worse about this, when people favor popularity and numbers above actual data and facts, do you know that you cannot be a successful UX professional if you have that type of a mentality? 
I repeat, since I stumbled on myself there, if somebody favors popularity and numbers above data and facts, that individual cannot truly be a successful UX practitioner when you have that type of mentality because data and facts are at the core of our operation. Maybe you're just a UI person. So you don't need any facts to deal to design a visual design. You just do it. But if you're trying to optimize a user experience, eventually data and facts have to come to the forefront and support and validate the direction you're trying to go in so you are fully aware of and confident that the direction you're going is what is needed. That's what real UX people do. Not people who just believe something because everybody is, is embracing it. We are not order takers and we do not follow the leader. That's what not what we do in UX. We want to examine things. We, we have to be the voice of reason. We have to advocate for the users Advocate for the clients at the same time and represent the best way forward. Be expert voice. Represent the absolute best way forward for whatever work we are doing. We don't just do things and agree with things. I I remember and I said that on the episode about UX writing, there was a time when someone tried to take a technical writer in a company I worked for. And that person wanted to join our team as a UX writer, but they knew that I wasn't going to go for it. So they wanted the person to come and talk to me to hear what I had to say about this. And, and I told them the same types of things that I tell everybody else anytime things about UX writing come up. And they say, well, oh, well, what, what should my title be then if I join your team? I said, well, what's, what's, what's your title now? And they told me. I said, and what kind of work are you doing now? And they told me, and they said, what kind of work are you expecting to do if you be on our team? He said the same exact thing. I said, well, then keep the same title. The people want to be called UX anything. Because they just, it's a sexy title and people like it. And they want they want to be associated with the UX work, even though they're not doing anything related to UX, either that we're not already doing or they're just flat out not doing anything that's UX at all. And, and people are not looking at this. They don't realize that all of these made-up positions that have popped up in the last few years, they've only been around for the last few years, and some people call it evolution, You know, mold evolves too. And so people need to understand that. Everything that evolves doesn't mean it's good. And 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 a lot of this UX writing and 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 my God, uh OOUX, design thinking. There's a lot of things that people do that are rehashed, repackaged, rebranded versions of something that already existed, and in many cases disavows what already existed. So when it disavows what already existed for no reason and you embrace it, you're not doing the discipline a favor. You're you're hurting us. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, there were no specializations in UX prior to 2011. Now you see them everywhere. And all it did was weaken us. It divided us and it weakened us. You want to be in UX, learn to do UX. That is a broad term that that UX, that little acronym with two letters, is referring to something extremely broad and extremely methodical. When these people say UX, they're talking about something small, something that somebody can pick up in in no time or pick up on how to do in no time. It doesn't take a lot of specialized knowledge. It doesn't take a lot of specialized expertise. And for that reason, it's not UX. 
So what people think is evolving is actually people actually paring UX down into something that it's not. And then because they find X number of people who believe that that's the way to go, that they turn around, they justify it because there's X number of people that embrace that that's the way to go. Never mind what their personal UX maturity level is. They just look at numbers. They just look at how many people are saying yay and throwing up their hands and cheering for it. And they want to ignore the people like me that are saying, no, this is not the way to proceed. There's something called waiting. And it looks like we're going to have to wrap up here. We just will have covered too again this week. And that's fine. There's something called waiting when some uh, W E I G H T I N G. When people respond, you can ask five people a question and you can get answers from these five people. We're not talking about UX research. We're just talking about standard input and sentiment. And when these five people respond, you got responses about, say you had five questions about UX and you asked all five of these people, these five things, you got answers from all five people, but you cannot take these answers in without waiting them. In other words, if you ask somebody questions and they have 20 years, and one of the people had 10 years and another person has five years and the other two people had two years and six months respectively. If you hear the answers and ascribe the same amount of weight to each of the answers, and these people are answering questions about UX, its direction, the type of work that's being done, things of that nature, your data analysis is going to be skewed. It is not going to be trustworthy because what the person who has the most experience says their responses should carry more, wait for it, weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, should carry more weight than the person who has less experience because it's based on a broader set of reference points than the other person. It's more reliable. It's more trustworthy. You can take action on it without suffering any consequences because what they're talking about has already been proven to be accurate and true. Wait responses. Don't just get answers from people and then treat them all the same way. You can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to be accurate. And when you go to try to implement based on that mentality, you're going to fall short. This kind of critical thinking, that's another aspect. Let's throw that in for number three on today. Critical thinking is absent. It's like endangered. Critical thinking is an endangered mindset in UX today. And because critical thinking is endangered, that's why people will say, oh, you know, a bunch of people said that they like UX writing. The, the scenario that I was talking about, the story I was telling, the, when I was trying to tell the person that there's no such thing as UX, as UX writing, they said, they literally told me, well, if I do a search on, on Google, it comes up. So this, the person literally said, I'm not making that up. This person thought that, that UX writing was legitimate simply because it comes up in a Google search. Well, so does the earth is flat and so do vampires and so do a whole lot of other things. So they were ready to take that as Darren doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not a thing. That's not even possible. If I don't know anything about it, guess what? I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> I have a rule. If you don't know about it, 
Don't talk about it. And that's why the people who try to refute what I'm talking about really identify themselves as being clueless or biased or something. Will you go take a look at what I'm saying? I provide reference points for some of these things. Not everything, because some of the things are just things you just observe over time. Someone asked me once, do you have any data on that? I'm telling you something I've observed over 20 plus years, and you're asking me for data? You think I actually went back and documented this? You know, you hang around a bunch of liars. Well, I'm not a liar. You couldn't pay me to lie. But some people, hey, it is, it is what it is. Some people hang around a bunch of liars, and they lie a lot. And so they assume that other people lie as well. We're well, not talking to a liar right now. You're not listening to a liar right now. And go and, tra- go and check it out. Go and try it out for yourself. If you can do it without being biased, and you'll find out that what I'm saying is, is accurate. So critical thinking, we must in- embrace Critical thinking in UX today, it's its its at the core of everything that we do. UX without critical thinking isn't, isn't UX. It just simply isn't. And, and so just keep that in mind. So we're going to wrap up here, though, folks. We're, we're, we're coming up on the 40-minute mark, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it a week. And it's funny. I said that we covered three. We actually covered three that weren't listed. <laughs> but they're not going to appear in the list anymore at all. So, so we're okay. But... At any rate, folks, that's all the time that we have for today. We're going to end it here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. Thank you for those of you who already been sounding off saying, I can't wait to hear part two of the sinister culture of, of UX. Because it's given some people some, wow, that's, I saw that. And I didn't know what to call it. Thank you for that. I'm getting feedback. There are some people out there that are not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm thankful for you. And I hope we help more people to lose their taste for Kool-Aid today in the world of UX. So until next time, it's time to sign off. This is Darren Hood, the host of the world of UX, wishing everybody all the best. And until next time, happy UXing everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.